You may know, you may know uh, people by their quotes or quotes by their people. I think of some different famous quotes that you may know. I've got a little quiz here for you. The first one's easy. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Neil Armstrong, good. All right, this one's a little harder, but I believe in you. All I was doing was trying to get home from work. When I say it, you'll understand. Anybody brave? Think they know? All I was doing was trying to get home from work is Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yep. She took that seat on the bus. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky. Michael Scott, thank you, yes. Also a correct answer. All right, for the kids in the room, I'm fired up. Marshall, Marshall, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids, but you know, it's also funny, you know who has small kids because you heard the adults answering that one as well. Yeah, Paw Patrol, fire pup there. How about this one? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeah, it's, it's John the Baptist. I was kind of giving away the clues on the screen. It's John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's life mission was to prepare the way, to make straight the paths. The prophet Isaiah said that John's life work would look like this. This is what uh, Isaiah says in chapter 40 of his prophecies. He says, every valley shall be lifted high. He said, hey, one's going to come who's saying, prepare the way, make straight the paths. He says, every valley shall be lifted up. And every mountain and hill will be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. It's impressive work. So how would John do this? How would John make valleys lifted up and mountains made low? This isn't a literal work of changing physical landscapes. This is the work of preparing hearts and minds. What a massive work, maybe even harder than making valleys lifted up and mountains lower. We can do that with big equipment. Who can change the hearts of man? God was using John to ready the people for Jesus. But how would John do it? How would John do this? He would do it by preaching a simple message. Look at Matthew chapter 3 with me, if you would. Take your Bibles, flip over to Matthew chapter 3. Could be easy to find in the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. How would John make every valley lifted up, every mountain and hill made low? Here's what it says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. How would John do this? How would John do what Isaiah prophesied he would do? He preached that message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the main idea of the whole life and ministry of John the Baptist. If you could sum up all he did in one sentence, this would be it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. 
we can understand the kingdom of heaven to really mean Jesus himself, that Jesus has come. John is telling the Jews, your king is here. The heartbeat of the kingdom, the reason the kingdom exists is for the king, and the heartbeat is beating among you. He's drawn near. He is at hand. So repent. If God is here, turn to him. Forsake your idols. Forsake your traditions. Turn to God. Turn away from sin. Turn to Jesus. It's give up your fool's gold and take hold of the true treasure. That's the message. It was an urgent message. It was an urgent message then, and it's an urgent message still today. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand, church. Jesus has drawn near. That's what he said to the Israelites This moment you've been waiting for. This moment that your fathers and their fathers and their fathers have been waiting for has finally arrived. It's here. The God who is beyond our comprehension has made himself known in the flesh. For John, his ministry was a ministry of urgency. Truly, it was a ministry of of urgency. When should the people repent? When is he calling them to repentance? He's not asking for repentance a week from then or a month from then or a year from then. It's repentance now. He called them immediately. Jesus has arrived. The kingdom is at hand. It's not far off. It's not soon coming. It is at hand. It is drawn near. Jesus, the Messiah, wasn't somewhere distant in the future. He was imminent. He was present. And Jesus continues to be. It was obvious that John only cared to make his life about this truth. He lived with this type of urgency. He didn't make his life about the creature comforts of his day, and he could have. We compare his creature comforts to ours, and there wouldn't have been many, but there were some, and he even rejected those. God called John to this urgent work of preaching repentance, and that's what John did. Wholeheartedly, relentlessly, he was holding nothing back for himself. This is what we find out about John in verse 4. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John was growing in fame and could have made his ministry about growing his market share. He could have had a really popular podcast. His YouTube channel would have probably had a million people. But do you know what John made his ministry about? It was a ministry of repentance. He made his ministry about turning from what was worthless to turning what had immeasurable worth. That was the heart of and soul of John the Baptist. He loved Jesus more than anything, and he made his ministry about it, a ministry of repentance. He didn't, dress, he didn't dress fancy. He didn't eat fancy. He didn't live fancy. He made his whole person about Jesus. John knew his role was that of servant to a king. He was the servant of Jesus. So, John didn't present himself as a king. 
He presented himself as a servant. He came humbly. And he preached an urgent message of repentance. And people received his message. And they were baptized as they confessed their sin. We talk about baptism here a lot. We love baptism. We love what it represents. We love what it is. And here, it's a very clear picture that baptism is a sign of repentance. If there's no repentance, there's no baptism. That's, that's, the, that's the process here that John's laying out for us. People are confessing their sin and they're being baptized. The baptism wasn't the, the repentance, but it was a sign of the repentance. Baptism was a declaration to yourself and to God and to those around you that you are forsaking your sinful ways and your idols and you're giving yourself completely to God. That's, that's the picture of baptism. It's all for Christ. I, I think one of the beautiful pictures of immersion, baptism by immersion, that word we see in the Greek in the New Testament, that it's really an immersion baptism, is that it covers every part of us. You've probably heard me say that. That immersion baptism covers every part of us. Just like God's claim on us does. What part do we get to hold back from God? Not a single inch. Not a single thought. Not a single issue. Every part of our life belongs to him. For John to be obedient to God's call in his life, to prepare the way, he preached repentance. He preached repentance. Look at the response to his message of repentance. We've said this, people confessed their sin. It's a critical sign of our salvation. Have you confessed your sin? Do you know that you are in need of a savior, that sin exists in your life? Can we admit our sinfulness? This is true at salvation, right? If you're here and you're not a Christian, it's a great place to start that I I have sinned, that there is sin in me, that I need help, I need deliverance from the consequence of my sin. If you're here and you're a believer and you've dealt with that and you've turned to Christ, then you still continue in that line of saying, I know I have not beaten sin. That Christ has defeated sin and death, but in this life, I'm constantly fighting to follow after Christ well. So we can admit our sinfulness. That we don't have to get defensive when people call out our sin. So can we admit our sinfulness? When God saves us, we can go to him without fear. We can confess it to him. And we can do it without fear because we know he loves us. God, I have sinned against you. Thank you for loving me all the while. Thank you for already paying that debt. Thank you for loving me even when I have not loved you well. The beauty of John's message is that we know what Jesus does with our sin. For the Christian to confess sin is to receive forgiveness. We don't have to punish ourselves or laden ourselves with guilt and shame. We don't have to walk around shameful and and hurting all the time because of our sin because we can lay our sin on Jesus who took our sin on himself willingly. We can give it to him gladly. Jesus, thank you. John's message of repentance is not one of judgment only because repentance is a message of judgment. For me to stand here and say to you, you have sinned, that you are a sinner, is very judgmental. 
That doesn't feel good. It shouldn't feel good. We shouldn't accept that, right? It shouldn't, we shouldn't all just be like, yep, no problem, Bob. I know, I know it. It should bother us that there's sin in us. That is a message of judgment, but repentance isn't just a message of judgment. It's also a message of grace. Repentance speaks to there is a wrong and there is justice for the wrong, but there is grace to be given as well. That not, you aren't stuck in your sin. You can turn to Christ. That he has made a way. Repentance then is stirred up in us by faith that comes by grace. When we look at John in many ways, John was prophesying like it was the Old Testament. I mean, for so many of these people, they, they hadn't met the Messiah yet. It, it would have felt like old covenant conversation. One is coming. Yeah, Isaiah said that. Yeah, Ezra said that. Yeah, David said that. Yeah, everyone said there's one coming. We knew from Abraham one was coming who was going to bless all the nations. We know, John. We know people are coming. John's message, though, up the ante because the one who was coming had come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In many ways, even though he was talking like an Old Testament prophet, his listeners would see the new covenant sealed by the blood of the Lamb on the cross. All of these, all of these Israelites who had spent so much time seeing sacrifices at the seasons and holidays and, and covering for their own guilt, soon they would see the perfect Lamb shed his blood on the cross. And what they would hope in for their salvation is also what you are called to hope in as well. John's listeners would put their hope in Jesus just as you are to put your hope in Jesus. So the question is, will you? It was the question for his listeners at the River Jordan. It's the question for you as well. Will you repent of your sin? Will you repent? Will you cast aside the fool's gold and take up the true treasure, whatever the cost? Some did, some didn't. Continue on in Matthew with me, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, these would have been the religious leaders, they would have known the prophecies, they would have been interested in the religious movement happening in their boundaries. We don't know if they were coming, these Pharisees and Sadducees, we don't know if they were coming because they were interested genuinely or if just because they were coming to poke holes in what was happening. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John's ministry was a ministry of courage. This is significant courage. These Pharisees and Sadducees were men of power. They had authority. It was these men who ended up having Jesus taken and killed. 
These were, these were not small men. But John was not afraid because what was John's life and purpose? It was Christ. So he, was not, he wasn't afraid to call them what they were, a brood of vipers. He knew. He knew that wrapped up in their power and authority and pursuit of their own comfort, that they had given up the fruit that was in keeping with repentance. That's what he says in verse 8. It's a call back to them for repentance. Here's more repentance. A ministry of repentance, calling people to repentance will take courage, church. And I don't mean having a social media platform or being well-known in the community. I mean in your individual lives, when you are discipling other men and discipling other women, it will take courage for you to call people to repentance. Do you know what the easy path is? I'm sure it'll work itself out. Do you know what the easy path is? Let's just love them through it. The way you love something, love someone through their sin is to call them to repentance. And that is hard. It is awkward. We don't want those conversations. Many of us avoid them at all costs. To call people to repentance takes courage. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And he knows He knows the ways they make excuses to themselves. And don't you, don't we, don't we understand the way that we make room for the sin in our lives? The way that we say this fool's gold is good enough. I'm okay with this. Or maybe I can have both. I can have the true treasure and the fake. I can do it all. We lie to ourselves. And that's what these Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. They were lying to themselves. Don't presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. They had taken something that was true and twisted it into something that was harmful. Yeah, Abraham was their father, but not their spiritual father, because Abraham had a heart of faith. He followed after his God. What's worse is the Pharisees and Sadducees brought others into their disobedience. That's why John felt comfortable calling them a brood of vipers. A brood of vipers aren't dangerous because they exist with one another. A brood of vipers is dangerous because they attack those around them. The call to repentance is a call to protect everyone around us. Because the tree was being cut down. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Who there, who there had had been a part of this Jewish tradition where God had made a way for, for the Jews to know him and to love him, and they were throwing it away. And now they have this opportunity to follow Christ. Here, here is a, a line being grafted in. John continues, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance that he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Do you continue to see his humility here? He's got, I've got water for repentance, but Jesus is coming after me. He's mightier than I am, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is a hard teaching. This is a hard truth. This is justice. But it's not just justice, it's, it's hope. It's not just hope, it's faith. John's ministry was a ministry of faith. The water they could see. The giving up, doing bad things they could see. But the work of Christ was work that many of them wouldn't be able to see. Here already, John, John hadn't been spending time with Jesus here. He's saying, look at this, Jesus is coming, and I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. But he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's coming with true salvation. The true salvation of repentance is the Holy Spirit. The true salvation of repentance is what Jesus does. Where all water can do is wash off physical dirt. The work of the Holy Spirit is to cleanse us from the inside out. The work of the fire of the Holy Spirit is to purify us. So what man can do isn't enough. The water is not enough. But the fire of the Holy Spirit is enough for us to be saved. Only Jesus, though, can baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. No man, no one else can. That's a question, then, of faith. Do we believe that? Do we believe that the only one who can save, the only one who can give us eternal life is Jesus? John was looking into the future. John was looking in and saying, I believe this. Look at verse 12. This is a picture of the future. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Basically, all that means is that Jesus was separating those who were saved and those who were not saved. Those who had been baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, and those who had not. Those who trusted Jesus for their salvation, he will have in his hand. He will gather his wheat. He will gather those who are his. But those who have depended on their own ways, who have lied to themselves, have made excuse for their sin, who have treasured their sin and their idols above Jesus, who haven't trusted Jesus alone for their salvation. For them, they're like the chaff who will burn with unquenchable fire. Really, that's, that's, that's where we're ending our text today. We're going to come back to this text next week, but I don't, I don't have like a really feel-good note to end on with that. For those who know Christ, there is eternal life. And for those who don't know Christ, there is eternal death. Church, we we need to take this seriously. There are some Sundays where we need to end on this note. But there is judgment. Do Do we believe that? Do we live in faith like John did to believe that our God will come with a winnowing fork, that he will separate, that there will be some that he gathers to himself and some that are burnt with unquenchable fire? 
God has given the world his church to proclaim his good news. Church, it's, it's up to us to go forward with the message of the gospel. He gave John the command to prepare the way. He prophesied that John would prepare the way. Church, what has he asked us to do? He didn't say go prepare the way. He said go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a monumental role. What a privilege, church, that we have a role in something this magnificent, something this serious. Your life is not small. Your life is not inconsequential. Your life has incredible, eternal value and meaning. Christian, God has called you to make an eternal difference in the lives of those in our community and in our world. They might be filled with all the fullness of God, that they might belong to him. John's ministry was one of faith, but not just faith. It was also of courage. It was of repentance. And it was urgent. Church, will we be urgent with this message? Let's be urgent. Let's call out to the world around us, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you have questions about following Jesus, if you're like, I want to repent, I don't know how. I want to go to the world. I want to share this message. I'm going to be in the back during this last song and I'd love to talk with you. Right now, I'm going to pray for you. Would you pray with me? Father, repentance can be hard because we can love our sin. God, I ask for your help that we would be honest with ourselves about the way we feel about our sin. God, expose to us where we truly do love our sin more than we love you. God, we thank you that you've made a way through your body and your blood that we could be saved. I thank you by your grace giving us the faith to embrace it. We are so thankful for your love for us that we might be called your children. As we continue to sing, I pray that you are honored by our lips. I pray that you are honored by our thoughts. I pray that you are honored in our movement. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.